Welcome to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea Podcast. I'm Danny Sheriff, your host, certified fertility awareness practitioner, functional nutrition counselor, and founder of the HA Society, and of course, an HA recovery coach who has walked where you currently are walking. This is the place to come if you care about getting your period regularly. This podcast aims to educate, inform, and keep you motivated on your period and HA recovery track. So let's dive in. But last thing, nothing on the show should be taken as medical advice. So please seek the advice of your physician. Hey, are you trying to recover and maybe even fall pregnant naturally? I thought that might be you. And if so, we have created our best ever yet resource for you. Totally free. This is a masterclass. I've called it my masterclass because I have put everything into this, right? This masterclass is designed for you if you have HA or have had HA and are dealing with suboptimal cycles and you're serious about restoring those babies to full optimization and you want to create the ideal foundation for a pregnancy. This is going to be for you. So in this masterclass, I'm going to provide you a lot of things, including a lot of case studies, mine, Ashley's and Mishi's, as well as lots of our past clients and what their challenges were and what they had to do to overcome it. And we cover a really wide variety of types of cases of HA. So everything from primary amenorrhea and missing periods for years and years to short-term amenorrhea and what we did to handle that situation as well and how long it took these people to go from HA to pregnant with this system and how long it took them to go from HA to ovulating, of course, with this system. So lots of information, lots of case studies, lots of stats. We go through why this is not a weight gain plan and how we actually divide you into phases, the three phases of HA and determine what your starting point is so that you have a good idea of where you need to start with your actual changes and lifestyle and nutrition changes. We even cover questions like HA and people with a normal BMI and recovery for people who have had HA for too long. There's so much In this 60-minute masterclass, y'all, I'm impressed. And at the end, I'll also be running you through how to get a free HTMA, hair tissue mineral analysis through us, which is a part of our process for recovery and preconception clients that we're happily going to give you for free 99 as a massive thank you, of course, for joining the masterclass. So go to thehasociety.com forward slash masterclass Or head to our website and you'll find a link for it and find when the next available presentation is going to be. That's thehasociety.com forward slash masterclass. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Hypothalamic Amenorrhea podcast. It is your co-host, Ashley. And today I have another special guest. We have Allison with us. She is one of my email-based clients. We actually don't have only email-based clients anymore. So she is the last of the last, but we've been working together for a while now. And so it's really awesome to see her um, her face as we're on this conversation. So I feel like this is a special treat for me. Um, but today we're going to dive into 
being afraid of carbs, the fear of carbs. So let's just do a little backstory. How did now looking back, right? 2020 vision, you know what I mean? Not the year 2020. That's a whole other episode. <laughs> <laughs> so many feelings associated with that. I know, right? I feel like I probably didn't say that anymore. Anyways, um, looking back, where do you think your HA habits started? Not so much when you lost your cycle, but when do you think your mm-hmm. HA habits started either around food, carbs specifically, because that's kind of what we're chatting about or exercise, just kind of an open question. Sure. Um, well, first, thanks for having me on as part of this conversation. And I, and I didn't know that you don't do any of these clients anymore. I feel very special, but you're special, super excited you're special. to be here. Um, <laughs> and I don't, that's such an interesting question because I feel like it has so many layers. Like where do like a lot of behaviors start for, I mean, especially women around these things, like some, like, you know, I don't know the, the, the way that I was bullied for how much when I was in like fourth grade, that's probably the starting point. Um, but yeah, from like having feeling, uh, need to control my body in order to be more confident and having some self-worth come from that you know, led to, I, I do think that was the first reason that I started exercising. I don't think that that's continued. I, like I really do enjoy it as part of my like personal wellness and care and the way I think about movement has evolved over time. But certainly the reason I started exercising in high school was from a need to control my body and, um, and the relationship that I had with food was infant was like phenomenally frustrating to my mother one day being okay with one food group. And then the next day being like, we can't have, I, I can't eat this food group anymore. It's making me fat. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, I think those behaviors really, uh, took a, on a life of their own in high school. Yeah. So I love that you actually brought that up, even though this isn't technically part of the conversation, but we're all about rabbit holes here. You had said, you know, about exercise and food. I also remember probably like middle school, definitely. Cause I just felt like I was like, quote unquote, bigger than everybody, um, especially bigger than the boys. Right. Um, but guys are kind of scrawny in middle school because they have like delayed puberty. And so women are girls are developing earlier in middle school. And so when you look around, you're like, why am I just like, a bigger person in general, I mean, just like in general, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But to the point, sorry, to the point of, I think my first interaction with deliberate exercise, not playing sport. Cause for me, that was always separate. Like the sport was fun and exercise was very transactional. I think food and exercise, I think I always started to get into it because it was transactional. I don't think I, you know, not saying that I didn't have a great relationship with it. I just think that my introduction to it outside of sports was solely transactional. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Transactional. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I actually think a lot of people will relate to that. A lot of people and even like athletes will relate to that. Okay. So tell me about 
the because you, you kind of alluded to this when did you first start being concerned about carbs so i think first i was concerned about fat actually so okay. and then it just and then there's and and then it just shifted to different <laughs> yeah um because i got advice from a doctor about like 10 years ago that my cholesterol i was at my body weight was was fine i was um probably in a state of i was trying to rapidly lose weight so i was certainly especially after what i know now certainly under eating for mm -hmm. the exercise that i was doing um and i was on hormonal birth control at the time so like i didn't have any of this sort of feedback about what that was actually doing to my body um, and my cholesterol was a little high, like nothing that I would worry about now, like after coming, kind of becoming my own, like educating myself about this, but the doctor at the time told me your cholesterol is high. You should bring it down and restrict your fat consumption. And I was living in Costa Rica and Peace Corps, with Peace Corps at the time. My poor host mom was like, okay, well, she just like started having to cook two things because, and, and I just like felt awful, but I was like, well, the doctor says I'm supposed to. So I just became really focused on reducing fat because of this lab testing with the doctor said, which further so... reduced my caloric consumption for this like intense exercise that I was doing to lose weight. Um, and I got in great shape and got mm -hmm. lots of comments, lots of really positive feedback and like well-intentioned positive feedback from mm -hmm. a lot of people in my life. Um, and so I thought that that's the kind of thing I should continue doing. Um, I got back to the U.S. and got, and you know, I went off of birth control because there was a period in Peace Corps where I didn't line up my refill for my birth control. And then the nurse was like, just wait till your period comes back. And then eight months later, I was like, so my period hasn't come back. What do I do? And she's like, oh, just go back on birth control. So when I got back, I wanted to figure out what that journey was. And that was in 2014. This has been a long, this has been a long journey. Um, yeah. All of that is to say, like, went and started seeing some endocrinologists and like going through lots of different doctors to try to figure this out. Um, and they all said to, they, they did all say to eat more and that fat was important for hormones. Um, but then I just, it just didn't feel right to just increase everything I was eating. So I just took that from, I took that like, wanting to control a food group from fat to carbohydrates, not understanding that carbohydrates are also really important for managing cortisol, especially related to cortisol spikes that are related to exercise and therefore hormones. Yeah. So I just quickly Googled, cause you know me, I'm like, oh, connection. Um, <laughs> like uh, Alice and I are always on a rabbit trail first off. Like that is like our relationship. We're like on rabbit trails. We chase them down. We answer the question we have the evidence. We move forward. So just to answer anyone else's thought, because I feel like whenever you said that you had high, I would assume LDL while on birth control. Right. And I'm like, okay, mm. she may or may not have HA then obviously because low estrogen, estrogen is the great 
regulator. And so when you have low estrogen, we have high LDL. This is why we see it in menopause, hence why cardiovascular um, issues increase in menopause. Oh, and so while, yeah, and while HA is not mm-hmm. menopause, it is a menopause state. I digress about this, but my whole point that I got really curious about is I wonder what is the side effect of synthetic hormones? Because it's not progesterone that you are given right. in birth control. You are given progestins. Mm-hmm. And so I said, and they even have like a whole little, it's like quoted. I'll look up the article. I'll even probably like link it to the show notes. Um, progestins have the opposite effect, lowering HDL, which we want. And raising LDLs, cholesterol. <laughs> I know. So please, I wish I, ugh. I yeah. know, I know. So you're like, wow, well, like. That's so interesting. And it's, face. it's like yeah. surprising how few doctors are aware of the side effects of hormonal birth control. I did have a side effect of switching. I initially had switched to Yaz while in Peace Corps and all of a sudden had blind spots, which was That's weird. I went to an ophthalmologist ophthalmologist often went to the not went to the eye doctor yeah yeah <laughs> and I immediately and immediately there um his his reaction was oh are you on birth control and I said yes and he's like I'll do the eye exam anyway but I don't really have to just stop taking your hormonal birth control and your vision will be back to normal and it's surprising to me that nor- that that's not sort of everyone's well training so this but- is what I mean this isn't supposed to turn on a rant about cholesterol, but it's supposed to be on carbs, but here we are on this. But what I want to say is because certain medical professionals don't see anything wrong with hormonal birth control, it's just not even in their wavelength to potentially consider that this may be a side effect. Does that mm. make sense? So it's like literally your own bias can prevent you from serving people in general. And think everyone has a bias. So I'm not free of it. I see everything through the lens of HA. You know what I mean? Like I'm very aware of it. So I have to be mindful that other people have issues outside of HA. (laughs) But that (laughs) is my bias and that is my lens. But my whole point to this is we don't get to play with a woman's hormonal balance and think that there's not going to be side effects. And so the whole, why I find this interesting is because a quick Google search and, and then like, yes, I will back this. I mean, I'm not set in stone on this y'all. This was a quick Google search and I will go look up the reference. So no one come at me, but what I'm saying is it's so interesting that we're so quick to blame, uh, animal fats or fats. That's been part of the human, uh, experience I mean, mm-hmm. even if we want to go back to caveman days, I mean, or our ancestral or ancestral eating or whatever, you know, whatever we want to say, is it possible that we have high cholesterol issues in a, in the female population in America, because a majority of everybody is on hormonal mm-hmm. birth control, control, not that um, we're overeating fat. So again, whenever we look at right. these studies and I've already gone on a whole tangent on Instagram about, uh, the recommendations to avoid fat. And I believe I sent it to you. I was like, Hey, look at this study. You know, it's not a clinical trial. It can't, um, there is no cause and effect and it hasn't been replicated. And there's like 20 other papers urging the, um, what is it? ADA, whatever. 
yeah, the dietary yeah, guidelines process to, <laughs> to reconsider their position on this and they just won't budge. So I think it's so interesting. I'm so glad that you share that because a lot of women actually come to us with high cholesterol and they are freaked out. And then, so when they hear us recommend animal fats, they're like, what do you mean? I've been suffering with high cholesterol, which brings me back to the whole point of this. If it truly was the carbohydrates, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Think about every one of us comes from an, uh, probably an obsessive mindset of food. So we're watched. So, you know, we are eating healthy and we are exercising already and developed high cholesterol or high LDL getting more strict on our food and exercising more is not going to reverse it. Sure. Right. Right. We don't know that in that moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I guess like one thing you said to me that stuck out is, you know, we can't like physicians can't, um, sort of play with women's hormones, but, but like broader than that dietary recommendations, recommend like blanket recommendations to lose weight. I came back from Peace Corps in like the best, the best, like quote unquote, the, the healthiest mm-hmm. that I had been right. The, the, from, from the outside, like the fittest. And I still had an endocrinologist say, well, it seems like you might have PCOS, you should lose 10 to 15% of your body weight. And I was like, from where? That's not right. So I went where do you want me to lose this from? My brain? Like, you know what I mean? Yes. I love Um, that you brought that up too, because it's a blanket statement. Just lose more weight and everything will feel better. So, which it makes sense whenever you start HA recovery and it's literally the opposite of everything you've heard from a professional and, and then like a white coach or like, you want me to like, listen to this coach, she's not a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, also like my background is in, I got my PhD in nutrition and, and public health. And so I also, I mean, it's going against what doctors have told me, but also what like I myself had spent a long time learning and, you know, like thinking about things goes through different paradigms, but like, and when we think about like nutrition and health, it's not like, you know, sort of like the end results of research is taught to you with um, um, the, but the process of it and where that evidence comes from. And then a lot of this research has left out women because it is complicated to get your study sample to be large enough to cover women who are in the different phases of their cycle so that you can control for their hormones. Like that is all mm-hmm. not explained when you're presented all of this evidence for like the best you know, the right way to exercise or whether fast, you know, fasting is good for you or different kinds of diets. So I love that you share that because you're so right that, um, you don't know what you don't know. And if you haven't been taught it, then like you, you know what I mean? That it's, it's not shocking that like, we all once believed this it's, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not shocking. It doesn't mean that we're any less intelligent. It doesn't, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean any of that. It just simply means, Hey, I can't keep losing weight. And I'm already like avoiding fat or saturated fat. I'm already avoiding like animal proteins, animal fats, and it's not moving the needle. And because we don't know the other side, like I say this all the time, like, especially through our certification process, I'm not here to like, go up against like the medical system. I just want to tell the other side of the story of the other side Mm -hmm. of the 
you know, like research as well. And what we're just seeing clinically, um, I think it's just important so that, so that you as my client have both sides and then you get to decide. And on the flip side of that, there is so little research on whether in some circumstances, even if, and kind of no matter your BMI, whether weight gain is something that is actually healthier for you. That's like, yes, that's, that's totally not what the narrative in public health is. Yeah. Um, so it was, I mean, I emailed you several times where I was like, you know, we're not talking on video, but I am kicking and screaming. Yeah. I feel like you were, I do remember one email. You're like, Ashley, I'm just going to need a little bit more studies. And I'm like, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Which totally makes sense. Considering like your background, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I actually need a little bit more studies about this before I do that. And I love that because it keeps me sharp too. Right. And because like, you shouldn't actually just believe me, you know what I mean? Like, you know, um, okay. So back on, so back on the carb story. Okay. So first you were avoiding fats. And now that we've kind of done a deep dive in that, And now we are kind of into, you've switched. So like you came back, you were the leanest, fittest, you looked up to healthiest version, quote unquote of you, but your Mm -hmm. uh, cholesterol was no menstrual cycle, no menstrual cycle. Right. Right. I came off. Yeah. Yeah. I came off hormonal birth control and everyone was like, well, three months or something and it'll come back. And then it just, it never came back. Yeah. Until, until I started working with you all. So this was like, like, you know, nine years that it took going through this journey. And part of the journey was part of my like overall health journey switched to a focus on carbohydrates. Like there's a lot out there about low carb diets and helping people stay fit. I did like, I gave ketogenic diets, uh, like a a legitimate try for a couple of months, like not the testing out two period, but like a, like a strict ketogenic mm-hmm. diet for a couple of months. My dad at one point looked at me weighing broccoli to add to my lunch. And he was like, there is no world in which the a diet that makes you constrain the amount of broccoli that you're eating is a good diet to be following. Wise words from, <laughs> from Papa. Uh, Wise mean, words from my father. Right. Um, so I, I'm, I mean, and this gets back to like a lot of this research not being done in women and looking at, and women who are having cycles and not, you know, not women who are on hormonal, hormonal birth control, where you can't get this kind of feedback, but um, I restricted, I, I went low carb for a couple of different reasons. And I think a lot of it became like self-perpetuating. I had done a, um, I mean, around the time, not that long after I came off of a ketogenic diet. So I'm sure this skewed those test results, but I had done an oral glucose tolerance test as one of the things an endocrinologist wanted to see to help figure out what was going on. And in that test, you're supposed to have like a peak in glucose and then you get your glucose measure. You, you basically drink a giant soda. It's disgusting. And then it is you, disgusting. Like every like half hour. To do this? Like, yeah, my gosh, like, like, I would never do by now. Maybe I the know. continuous glucose monitors, they can figure something out, but I like, it's an awful yeah. test. So yeah. they, they measure your blood sugar every half hour. And instead of the like gradual decline to normal, my blood sugar spiked and then it tanked like below what is like should be 
like I should have fainted. And I mean, I don't know, like, I suppose you could talk to the, per, the receptionist at the time who saw me like go from running laps around the waiting room to just like slumped over and grumpy in the chair. <laughs> and maybe she would have thought that's what, maybe she would have thought I passed out. But so I thought from that, that that meant that, um, you know, like one of the things that they didn't measure was my insulin at the same time. Mm. And so a subsequent endocrinologist who saw that test result said, there's no way I can say for sure, but what I suspect is that you might already start to be having some problems with insulin because if insulin overshoots, it'll bring your blood sugar down too much. And that could be a sign of prediabetes. And I have diabetes on both sides of my family. My dad is a type two diabetic. My grandfather on my mother's side was a type two diabetic. My mom had gestational diabetes with me. So this is like something that's on my radar all the time, even though when I go in for my physicals, my my HbA1c levels are normal. My fasting glucose, plasma glucose levels have been normal. Um, but because of that test, which mm -hmm. like I didn't account for the fact that when you reduce your carbohydrate intake, the your body doesn't think you need the enzymes to process it. Like there are a lot of pieces in the processing carbohydrate pathway that your body has to see a reason to make. And if you have a long period of time, like when you're on a ketogenic diet where your body doesn't need it, you know, you have to like build that back up again. So I didn't consider taking that into account. And like, so that test result plus my family history, um, just meant that I stayed very low carb. And that meant that when I did have a lot of carbohydrates, I didn't react well to them at all. Like I remember going out to lunch with some friends and first I had fasted beforehand. Cause I knew we were going to go have a big lunch. So I thought that was like the healthier thing to do. Yeah. Um, and we go have this big lunch and it's a, it's a bunch of Chilean food. Um, and lots of Latin American food is very carby. So like we started with bread, we had empanadas, we had tamales, there was rice. There was like the, the beverage that they offered was some like was made with like sugar cane. It was, it was delicious food. It was so much carbohydrates. I was so anxious after that meal that it was like, this is in North Carolina. It was like a hundred degrees and humid outside. I stepped away and went and ran laps up and down the street because of the only thing that could make me feel better to get my blood sugar down because my body was not used to it. So it became a self-perpetuating thing where I thought I had objective evidence that my body could not handle high loads of carbohydrates, but it's because I never gave the like underlying mechanics. Well, I mean, I'm supposing, right? Like, cause I can't actually like get a, get like a print out from my enzymes the, for them to tell me what was going wrong. But like, I, I am presuming that it is because I never gave my body the time to build up that infrastructure to process this food group appropriately. So, you know, I thought I was acting from like very objective evidence from lab results, from what the endocrinologist told me from my family history. And then from this evidence that I had of what happened to me when I had something that was too sweet or had too many carbohydrates at one time. And um, yeah, so that, that led to me being low carb for uh, like un until we started working together. Hey, do you know what your blind spots are? As in, do you know what it is, what the thing is that is holding you back from getting your period back? Look, it could be an absolute plethora cornucopia of things, but in our practice, what we tend, the first place we tend to go is what behaviors and habits do you have around food that you may be 
still doing. And these are called blind spots because we just don't necessarily always know that they're an unhelpful habit or that it's something that we're doing, whether it be a subconscious or conscious need to control our food or our body, or whether it be something that you've just done for so long that it feels normal and like a preference even. We have created a checklist. It's a three-page checklist that goes through food types, behaviors around food, and mindsets around food. And what you do is you go through the lists and you check off and you see which ones are you doing, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, and how are they potentially affecting your recovery today? So it's a really simple checklist. It's just three pages. You go through it. There's a very simple scoring system to help you figure out um, how much this may be impacting your recovery. And it's just an insightful Thing for you to do to help you reflect and then you can journal about it or you can learn more about it and just start really working at any of the boxes that you checked and understanding that they're playing a role in your recovery so to get the checklist all you have to do is go to the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and we'll send it straight through to you you can print it off and you can check on it every now and then. I always recommend a reflection point every like four to six weeks. How are you going? Are you still checking that behavior off or have you, you know, systematically kicked it to the curb? So check it out. It's the hasociety.com forward slash blind spot and it will be waiting for you there. I love this so much. Y'all, I'm just sitting over here like this is going to like this is going to be one of the juiciest podcasts ever. Well, at least to me. So, you know, so I also went keto in my HA journey. Well, that was because I took HRT. I had a really bad reaction. I was bloating up. I mean, like seven pounds in 10 days. Long story short, my, my metabolism could not handle the amount of hormones I was dumping on it automatically. That's just another side tangent. But so I went keto as well. And I would have massive blood sugar swings like deeply confused, deeply, like deeply confused about what was going on, even though Mm. I wasn't eating carbs. I mean, I'm telling you, I am like racking my brain being like, I'm a nutrition coach. I do this all day. What the flip is going on? I, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I even got into insulin demand counting of carbs you know what I mean? Like just making sure that the insulin demand on my certain carb intake was, was, I think was staying under like a certain number. I, I don't know why 10s coming out to me anyways. So I even went that far and I was still having massive blood sugar swings. So a super interesting, interesting. Off- yeah, yeah, super interesting. Sorry. I'm in my office and I think my husband just started printing something. So if you hear a printer, y'all, <laughs> I'm working. Okay. Um, you mean it's not the, the printout I finally want for my enzymes to tell me what's, yeah. what's been going on this whole time. But only- you know what is, yeah, but you know what is really interesting is that without estrogen, y'all, again, we talked about this in the certification, estrogen is the great regulator and it like regulates our insulin sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you were in HA at this time obviously you were keto. So it's like one thing over the other, one thing, the other. So this is one thing that I say all the time. You're not crazy when you say that you're probably not tolerating carbs. Well, whether you've been low carb or you're just afraid to add in carbs. No, you are right. You're probably not, but it's not because of the carbs It's because we don't have any. That's such a key point. Yes. 
We don't have any estrogen to regulate the insulin to do its job. Right. So you're not wrong, but going lower carb has yet to bring back your cycle and has yet to improve your insulin sensitivities or your carb intake that it's literally like you were saying, it really, uh, we just go in the cycle over and over and over. And unfortunately, so you like, I think of it as like going in a circle in a circle, except for the circle is like a screw and you just keep going further and further and further yeah. down. And, to, and in like, hindsight, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah. Go ahead. In hindsight, I had like a, I had like a, like a stress barometer, which was what, like, I knew my body was stressed if I got cankles, if I got edema and swelling in my calves. Yeah. Also side, side note, that was one of my host mom's favorite words in English ever to learn was cankles. She's like, you have a word for that. (laughs) Um, The other one was butt dial, those two. Anyway, so um, I got that so often when I was on Mm -hmm. keto. And I still got that when I was just doing low carb and exercising afterwards, after I came off of keto and stayed low carb. Um, and it was how I, I knew that my body was stressed, but I didn't always know the reason why it was stressed. And since I kicking and screaming increased my carbohydrate <laughs> gradually as we've been working together, it I'm like, unless I'm on an airplane, it has not come back. I have not noticed so no cankles for you. I just want us no to cankles. take note. No cankles because you are now <laughs> eating carbs, kicking and screaming. I love that. Do you know what the other thing is and why I wanted you to share your story is because you do have nuggets of truth. And so like you weren't this crazy person who just like woke up one day and was like, I don't believe in carbs. You had evidence that seemed to have pointed that this was the right direction for you to go in you know what I mean mm-hmm. it is in your family right and so I even had you know like we had talked at length of just because your dad has it doesn't mean that you automatically have it right? yeah and I will say even like over the course of all of these months like my a1c has not like increased I mean it may have increased by like a couple of decimal points but that's kind of like margin of error it has not increased yeah, yeah. to any meaningful amount and you know what's interesting? I found that the one of the reasons, well, I mean, there was two main reasons, but one of the reasons why I also kicking and screaming started to increase my food and gain weight was because I noticed that my blood sugar levels was chronically increasing, even though I was keto and I wasn't mm-hmm. like I was, and that my A1C was actually starting to increase. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. sense. I'm not eating carbs. What <laughs> are you freaking, from? I mean, are you trying to Where's tell me the that glucose in my bloodstream coming from? Yeah. You know, to the point, well, stress, right. So let's just be real. Like, yeah. I mean, I was high stress at that time, but I think what, what I love about your story is that you didn't make these things up there was an endocrinologist that did tell you, you may be, there was, um, test results that was not interpreted holistically you know, we'll just call it that. You know, yeah. you mean like, you, mean like uh, you did have a family history, you know what I mean? So it's not like you stumbled upon this, but like, this is why we're so passionate about educating about HA is that if you don't know about the side effects of HA, you're not going to catch that this is related. It is, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Nowhere in a million years 
are you going to catch that this is related? But because HA is such a domino effect of hormones that, I mean, the two main hormones are estrogen and progesterone. And I think, unfortunately, in the educating world, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this too, due to trying to create bite-sized information on infographics, you know what I mean? That we have oversimplified what estrogen and progesterone do and the roles that they play. And the more that I work with clients and right now my biggest kick is like chronic pain. I'm starting to have clients with chronic pain and they all show up the same. They all have PTs. They're all extremely diligent and all their PTs are like, I don't know what's going on. Long story short, a deep dive into that is that estrogen and progesterone are deeply related to your pain sensitivity and your pain sensors. You know what I mean? To a point where mm-hmm. I'm like, guys, that's dude. interesting. And because there's so much research about how like pain is a combination of what's actually mm-hmm. going on in that part of your body, but also like it's your brain and your brain's interpretation. And a lot of resolving pain is trying to find the balance between like, what do you actually need to treat something physical and what do you need to tell your brain to like chill out? It's not, yeah. you know, the danger is past. Again, I'm not a pain management person. I don't have time to become an expert in that. And that's not a desire of mine, but it is a desire of mine to find out more because I'm seeing more clients related and showing up with that. So long story short about, you know, you came with such a strong, strong belief that like, carbs do not serve my body. So kind of walk me through your first kicking and screaming and how (laughs) you're at where you're at now. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, kicking and screaming was, I think for a couple of different reasons, right? It was increased carb intake, but it was also like giving my body time to rest and cutting out exercise. And that was a really, that was something that like grounded my routine and my energy. And like, that was, so, so both of those were both of those were just like huge earth earthquakes in how I thought about how I was taking care of myself. Um, so for carbohydrates, like, I mean, exercise is something that I went sort of cold Turkey on. Um, but, um, carbohydrate in, increases, I had to do more slowly to just get used to seeing that many carbs on my plate. Yeah. So th- you bring up such a good point. Just even visually seeing it, I'm mm-hmm. sure was a little like nerve wracking. You're like, oh my gosh. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like I had been eating about like a, you know, I went from eating like a, like a third of a cup of rice. Like, like I was, because I was so concerned about it. Like I was consistently about measuring how much I would have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So when you said a cup I was like, that's so, that's like, that's like half of the plate. I can't, a cup, what? Um, So I had to gradually work up to, to that point. And now like, you know, like no, like no more measurement and just kind of, I mean, some, sometimes I have to measure now for the opposite reasons a little bit still to make sure that I'm not shortchanging myself on, depending on what the food group is. Um, But I certainly don't measure the other way, which was to restrict. Right. So what would, like, do you remember the first meal or the first like carb portion where you're like, all right, I'm gonna trust this crazy chick. 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, take me back to that day where you're like, I, you know, I don't like it. I don't agree with her, but I'm going to try it. (laughs) Take me back Um, to that first day because, because I do feel like there was a lot of buildup to that. And not because you were trying to be difficult, but because you really did have this evidence that seemed very compelling. Yeah. Um, well, certainly, certainly any meal that I have with, um, my boyfriend's family, they're Colombian. And like I said, Latin American food has a lot of carbs in it, but, um, I can't think of a specific meal because it really did take, it really did take like a gradual increase, but, um, and that was in February. So I think, like, I think by the time, um, you know, like summer barbecues came around, I just like felt more comfortable being like, I will go back for seconds. For this. I think, I think those are the sorts of environments where it was easier for me to really have a lot of carbs at once is where there's like a dessert after you're going to get seconds and you're like that, that kind of thing. But yeah, it was, it was gradual. There wasn't like a, there wasn't like a single meal. Yeah. Very gradual. So, um, and please answer this honestly. I mean, not that you wouldn't, Mm -hmm. not that you haven't been, did you initially feel like you had adverse reactions to increasing your carbon take? Or maybe mm-hmm. not as pleasant or, you know what I mean? Or reactions that you deemed qualified you as carb intolerant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I did it gradually, no, like I still avoided, you know, the equivalent of like that lunch I went to where I had to run laps in hundred degree weather. Like I, I still <laughs> avoided those kinds of things. So Um, I mean, I had this, the same sort of like, I think discomfort that lots of us go through with just the side effect of weight gain and just, I mean, increasing carbs, I noticed more and like you retain more water, right? You have more glycogen stores, like you, you retain more water and noticed that, but not, not the, um, like anxiety inducing, whatever I, you know, like blood sugar comas I was going into because my, my blood sugar got to, would get really, you know, spike really high and make me a crazy person and then crash down and make me a zombie. Like that, that didn't happen from increasing carbs in my meals because I did it gradually. So gradually. Yeah. I do remember you mentioning feeling more fatigued and you were like, this has got to be part of it. Right. And like, you're not wrong. You know what I mean? Like there is this transition period, kind of like what you're talking about of reestablishing our gut microbiome where, you know, like we do have the bacteria to digest carbs. We do have the digestive enzymes. We, you know, like we do have to recultivate your digestive tract to be able to handle this. And one thing I always had to keep in mind myself to not only myself coming from keto and low carb and being super puffy and all those things, you know what I mean? Obviously that's related to stress, but is that my goal is to be flexible. Like, you know, like I shouldn't have to self-protect this food environment that I can only digest fat. 
or I can only digest carbs. I should, as a human, as a healthy human, have metabolic flexibility. And so that is where we're adding back in the carbs and like we're adding back in the fats, you know, type of thing in order so that like we like you like we shouldn't be put out simply because we had carbs. Like you're like our whole day shouldn't shut down. You know what I mean? I think if you're having that type of certainly not healthy. Mm -hmm. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's not how I think if you're having that level of a response, it's more of a sign of a lack of metabolic flexibility. And how is that health? Right. Sure. I had to remind myself that all the time, like that can't be healthy that if I heaven forbid, I eat uh, a piece of sourdough bread that I'm just like out for the rest of the day. Yeah, I went out when I, so my boyfriend and I have been dating for two years and, you know, I started this journey a year ago. So there was a time where we went out, we had a plan to go get lunch and then go kayaking and we went for Indian food. And like, when you go out to eat, there's like, you can't control what spices or sugar that they might add to a curry or something like that. So, you know, I like tried to, couldn't, you know, like only have so much rice or bread, but whatever was in the meal was still more carbohydrates than I could handle. So we got to the place to go kayaking and he was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, I'm going to go take a nap. (laughs) I got my anxiety spike. And then by the time we got to the place to actually go and do something, I was useless. So I was like, I'm just going to like put my hat over my head and go nap and go kayak. And he was like, how do we avoid this? Like how I've never dealt with this before. Oh, what's the people like, who are this with us during this journey? Me. Yeah. He's right. like, what yes. do you mean? Yes. What do you mean you ate carbs? And it just felt like made <laughs> you <laughs> out for the rest of the day. What do you mean that a tortilla did that to you? You know what I mean? And again, they're like, there's no shame, but like, I don't, but like, like I want to encourage you and I want to call you up, not call you out. I want to call you up and say, is, is that worth protecting? Is that lifestyle worth protecting of like, yep, I can't have a tortilla. I can't have sugar in the curry or else I'm just, I'm done for rest of the day done. Oh my gosh. Okay. So long story short guys, she did increase her carbs. She did get her cycle back. She is less, uh, she does not have kinkles now. Would you say that your relationship with carbs is still like a work in progress? Do you feel like you're making progress? Like where yeah. are you at with that? Because it's let's be real, so y'all. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to unlearn and to still trust that your body can still do it. You know what I mean? So no shame, <laughs> but where do you think? Yeah. You're I guess I would say still a work in progress. I don't know that. Le- I think the work in progress is less in carbohydrates specifically as just as still sort of like food in its totality right like I just told you that like since high school in 2010 the last 13 years Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about controlling food in some way and like we've only been working together for a year so the scales are still tipped in a certain kind of like type of Mm -hmm. behavior I think I am I am more comfortable in eating um, more carbohydrates. Like, um, like yesterday I finished dinner. I was like, I'm still hungry. I'm just going to go have a piece of bread. Like, I think that's, I think that is the food group my body wants us. I should be so proud. <laughs> yeah, um, it is but, proud because, because you do develop this 
once you are fully satiated and as you are working on your relationship with food, your body actually tells you exactly what you do need. And it may not be an extra piece of protein. You may just actually, I know specifically when my body's like, yeah, girl, you need a little bit more carbs. You just mm-hmm. need a little bit more. You know what I mean? And yeah, yeah super. Proud. You can't trick it with another food group or like water. You need the thing. Oh, I love that she said that, y'all. She said you cannot trick it. You cannot trick your body with another food group or water. <laughs> okay, she's speaking from experience, <laughs> and I yeah, know from but experience. Like, still work in progress because you know increasing carbohydrates didn't ha- for me has not come has not been something that has happened while the other food groups have stayed static. I have also been trying to like pay special attention to animal protein and making sure that I'm getting enough of that in my breakfast and my dinner specifically. And like, so those, so increasing those two things for me has not come with keeping fats steady. Like I have been more conscientious of like, like making sure I'm getting fats at the beginning of my cycle when your hormones are building back up. But like, I still can't quite let go of, um, especially later in my cycle, like, but that is very much still a work in progress, not getting over fixated on, you know, like the amount of butter I put in the pan to make vegetables. Um, so like, yeah, fully letting go of, of that kind of control is still a work in progress. Well, and you know, just to like speak to that for a moment, I think you're right. Like we've been working for a little bit over a year. Like, oh my gosh, look at our year anniversary y'all. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, please believe she did get her, her, her period back sooner. It's gotta be. It started cool? pretty fast. It didn't come back as a regular, like it's only been a couple of months of being super know, regular, a regular, a super regular uh-huh. cycle. Um, so there certainly have been ups and downs, yes, but yes, we did have to work on optimizing your cycle. Your period did yes. come back, but you know, generally quickly, however, optimizing the cycle has been the longer game. Hence why she's like really talking about like adding in animal protein, animal fats, you know, there has been further tweaking. And I, I mean, my gosh, like we could do a whole other Ted talk on that as well, but we won't, <laughs> but you know, so it really can be a journey. And, um, I do, and like, I just want to acknowledge that the two things that you are doing, you specifically had doctors look at you and say, don't do that. So anytime I see a client who's willing not, I am not promoting, not listening to your doctor always. I mean, I'm sure that there's a disclaimer at the end of this, right? Listen to the disclaimer. But what I am saying is I do think it takes a level of wanting to heal and being okay with being wrong to go against the conventional medical information that you were in to heal and then come out on the other side. Okay. What I'm trying to say is that I think it'll take much longer, probably years before you're really confident that this was the right path, even though all the signs Mm -hmm. are there. You know what I mean? Just because like you said, like the scales are really tipped incredibly unbalanced, right? Like you have multiple years of doctors telling you not to do this. And you have Ashley for one year being like, so like, maybe we should take a different approach. And even though it has worked, it takes a while for our mind to catch up and grasp. And yeah. I also and for those around and for our communities to catch up too, you know, like my, 
I mean, I mean, my partner has been incredibly supportive. I have no like mm-hmm. complaints there, but certainly from some family members and and some friends too, making either the the lack of things that they now say about me being sort of a role model in um, mm-hmm. fitness and health. So like that empty space or actively saying things like, okay, well, you got your period back and now you can start to lose weight again, right? Like yeah. it's hard for our and, and you know the, the, the like that the sort of like our own mental health psychological reactions to that that's certainly still a work in progress for me too yeah there's so much that so I love I love that you share this you share this uh, my goodness you're such a great podcast interviewee <laughs> that's the word because you're right that it's multifaceted there's so much that goes into feeling confident in your choices like, mm-hmm. like you just touched on it huge like the fact that there is now a lack of external validation from others because no one's now complimenting you on how thin and quote unquote fit or quote unquote healthy you are. You know what I mean? And they are potentially not interested in stepping out of a diet culture or that train of thought, right? All the way to the point of other people uh, projecting their insecurities or their thoughts and feelings of what valid is onto you, right? And then going against the grain of what the doctors have recommended to you Mm -hmm. in the past, guys, these are three huge things that we do have to move forward with and potential, I mean, move forward regardless of the, like any external, any external validation. I mean, to move forward without any external validation from anybody else or the communities around you is incredibly hard and difficult. And that's why HA recovery actually isn't that difficult when you break down like the, what to do it is. How do you move forward in the face of my friends don't understand? How do you move forward in the face of my family? Doesn't get it. How do you move forward in the face of my doctors are telling me the exact opposite. But if I was to choose to listen to them, I would not have my cycle. I would still be spinning my wheels and I would be potentially still in this skin deep confidence that really isn't confidence. Oh, it's just so much. Yeah, that's a lot. So, oh my gosh. The, I mean, you know, the 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 other side, I suppose, is a lot to trying to keep your control over your um, having a transactional relationship with exercise rather than one of like energy and joy and and controlling your food like that that's also that's also a lot there's a lot that we deal with on this journey but there's there's there is the external validation for having you know exercising and eating in a certain way is different than the external validation that I have now that is certainly true except Uh, from you which is why you're a great coach (laughs) (laughs) I am your personal cheerleader Uh, you know, it's so important and you, and you touched on so much that makes this, I hope that people listening to this, hear this conversation, and then they have just a small understanding of what it takes to create like a paradigm shift in health. It's not just dropping out of diet culture. It's like, oh my gosh there's a lot that I have to navigate. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just like, you summed this up so beautifully. I'm going to have to have you on again. And we're going to have to chat about 
all the things that I had to stay focused on and back. <laughs> tell you guys, <laughs> is our thing. So oh, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story, just sharing the ins and out of it. I know the listeners are going to be like, oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it takes a lot of hearing like those, it takes a lot of that's me moments to like, to feel like you're on a good course, which is something that is really valuable about the HA society. Like hearing, yeah. the more you hear that's me and see yourself in other people's experience, the more you can see yourself there too. Totally. Okay. I'm going to have to end this or else I can go on a tangent about that too. I'm like, guys, I, I can't stop talking. <laughs> I can't stop talking. All right. Thank you so much. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, you'll hear another episode next week. All right. Thanks everybody. Bye. Thank you, Ashley. Bye. Hey there, it's me, Danny, and I want to tell you about TempDrop as a fertility awareness method tracking option. So many of you guys know that we actually recommend the fertility awareness method both as you're going through recovery and 100% after you have gotten some cycles back and you're starting to move forward for the rest of your reproductive years. So TempDrop itself is a wearable fertility monitor and we love it. It's a wearable device, so you put it around your arm and you can use that instead of taking your temperature manually with a thermometer each morning. So I'm personally a big fan of the manual tracking, all of us at the HA Society are, and that's the method that we use, you know, just using a good old thermometer. We use that with our clients because it's the best way to use it as a diagnostic tool, as a practitioner. And it's also the best way to ensure if you're trying to avoid pregnancy that you don't get pregnant. However, manual temping for many reasons is just not always an option. When you're in the middle of recovery, again, we do recommend manual temping, but once you're cycling, the temp drop is actually a really great hack. So it gives you basically everything you need to effortlessly track your fertility status, like where you are in your monthly cycle. So you wear the temp drop sensor while you're sleeping for accurate basal body temperature readings without the stress of early morning wake-ups. So I personally love this because with a toddler, my wake-up times are all over the place and the occasional sleep disruptions make using an oral thermometer a lot more difficult. So TempDrop's accompanying charting app enables you to track an array of symptoms alongside your basal body temperature. This includes tracking your cervical mucus, if you've been using OPKs, and then it also gives you sleep insights too. So you can combine these fertility signs all in one place, and that will help you identify your fertile window, confirm ovulation, plan for your period. And if you're trying to get pregnant, you know, identify whether or not you are pregnant. So whether you're trying to conceive or avoiding pregnancy, or you want to chart for health reasons, like HA recovery, making sure your cycle is not slipping back in the HA direction, TempDrop makes fertility awareness accessible to all women, even if you don't have regular cycles or sleeping patterns. So track your ovulation in real time with the TempDrop, and we are lucky enough to have a 15% off code. So if you go to their website, they're usually having a sale, but you can stack this code on top of the existing code. So just go to 
tempdrop.thehasociety.com and use the code AFHA Society. I think too, if you just go to tempdrop.com and, and use um, AFHA Society at the checkout, that will work too. So happy temping and good luck. This episode is brought to you by Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules. Did you know that in terms of nutrient density, beef liver actually blows vegetables and fruits out of the water? If you're a client of mine, you have already been instructed to eat beef liver either fresh or in capsule form. I recommend it for anyone and everyone who is, of course, dealing with amenorrhea and fertility challenges out there, but I may even recommend it for just everyone in general. Get your husbands on it. Get your partners on it. If you have a history of HA and add on top of that, maybe a history of the pill, maybe you've been pregnant before, you know, through treatments or other, like you've just, your body's been through anything, you know, you're absolutely 100% dealing with a nutrient deficiency of some kind. And while it's true that testing is going to be the best way to understand those exact deficiencies, Eating nutrient-dense real food is going to be one of the most important next steps that you take with or without testing. So I've been using and recommending Grassland Nutrition Beef Liver Capsules for years now. And the capsule form makes it so easy to get your liver in every day. And I appreciate the transparency of this product in particular above others. So in case you're wondering, it's completely natural This is freeze-dried beef liver in capsules. It's organic. It's made from Australian beef. And my favorite of their products is the liver with kelp because of the iodine from the kelp, which is important for overall thyroid function, which is often low in women with underperforming hormones. So rather than eat seaweed snacks every day, I get to take this beef liver with the kelp for my iodine. So if you're recovering or working on a fertility journey right now, do not skimp the nutrient-rich source of beef liver. Get 10% off your order with the HA Society and support your favorite podcast along the way. They ship to most countries, so you should be covered. Just go to grasslandnutrition.net and use HA Society, just HA Society, at the checkout for the 10% off. That's grasslandnutrition.net with the code HA Society. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you could head to iTunes specifically and leave a rating or review, that would help so much because it makes it easier for other people with HA who are Googling around to find the podcast really easily so if you do that you're doing a service to all of the women